The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates. I work as an executive advisor, speaker, coach, and author of the award-winning book series focusing on helping leaders innovate or update how they lead to stay current in our ever-changing environment. I also serve on faculty and guest faculty in universities in the U.S. and Germany. Today we are honored to have Susan Paul as our guest. Susan leads Parveda's National Strategy Practice. Her group works with senior executives to develop pragmatic, actionable IT strategy solutions. Clients include both IT and business executives looking for great results from IT initiatives. Having spent more than 25 years in IT strategy, P&L management, and sales operations, Susan brings a broad mix of skills, building and managing operations, aligning priorities, and forging successful partnerships. She authored the Fusion Framework for Aligning Technology Goals Across Multiple Business Functions. It's been implemented in Fortune 500 organizations to get better value from technology investments. Prior to joining Paraveda, Susan served as the National Sales Director for Avanad, a Microsoft Accenture joint venture, where she drove revenue from $160 million to $700 million and managed the operations for a 100-person sales team. She served as General Manager of the Dallas and Austin offices of a regional IT consulting consultancy where her efforts received recognition through successive President's Clubs awards. She began her career in management consulting at Anderson Consulting. So as we think about the Innovative Leadership Series and this radio show, my goal has been to help leaders stay current on the broad range of changes we're facing and tying back to Ray Kurzweil's uh, idea that we are facing technology changes unprecedented. And by unprecedented, I mean that the changes we face in this century will be estimated around 20,000 times what we faced in the last century. And so in selecting Susan, lots of people talk about disruption. Susan can really talk us through what are some concrete examples of disruption and how do we respond in a way that is keeps our business running, that we're able to continue to remain profitable while at the same time adjusting how we move forward. So I find her examples both practical and sufficiently forward-looking. My hope for the series is that 
people walk away with recommendations that save them the investment of an hour that they've made listening to this podcast. So my hope is that you hear something that you can implement either as a leader or within your technology practice, if you are in a technology practice, or in your business that will allow you to immediately receive returns. So the outcome of the show is that Susan's going to talk to you about how to avoid being, quote, Netflixed, and she'll talk about what that means. So, Susan, thank you so much for joining us. Tell us a little bit about yourself before we jump into the conversation. Maureen, thank you very much for inviting me today. Um, My background, in addition to what Maureen said, I've always been in both the IT and the management consulting space, sometimes a part of the business unit, sometimes part of IT, and I often joke that I'm an IT shrink, which, which is something that people actually understand, particularly when you get to things like your parents who don't really know what you do when you're in the technology space. And what, what initially got me into this whole IT strategy and alignment area, which, which has, and IT is inherently all about disruption, but what got me into it was doing a variety of technology and organization roadmaps, and one particular one was, was very uh, divisive between IT and the various business partners they were working with, and everybody kept attacking one another and just saying that they didn't understand one another, and you know, we we made that clear to our IT sponsor who'd actually brought us in, and we came up with some quick wins, which we thought that IT could bring the business, and um, they basically said, well, why don't you just go bring them to the business yourself? And, and all of a sudden, I thought, okay, with all my sales and management and organizational background, I just, I knew I could bring a different perspective to the conversation. So as I got more in to the IT strategy space, I started seeing more of the trends that we're going to discuss and th- just thinking about how clients have to structure organizations to just anticipate the impacts of what technology is bringing. And, and if you think about IT as a just a function, it really has only become real sometime in, since about the 1980s. Uh, you know, before that, computers were interesting gadgets, but not very useful and and even when they they started they couldn't do a lot and they've changed and you know you wrote accounting systems and things like that things that you would no longer do and the tools have just gotten to where you know they can do everything and there was a term that we grew up with which were in terms of plug and play which was aspirational at the time and, and kind of a joke but today I, I recently uh, changed over phones and operating systems, and it was so easy to set it up that you realize, okay, all this that that has been around that you think is that feels very disruptive has been a long time in the in the works. And that's a great thing, point. Yeah, because you, you think you think okay, these things are overnight successes, and and they're just they're not really. It, you know the. I was thinking, you know, autonomous vehicles. I was thinking about this recently. Autonomous vehicles, drones. There are, there probably are a lot of things. I guess I don't reflect on all of it as much. But autonomous vehicles are becoming real as we speak. But it's huh. going to be an evolution of the next ten, fifteen years before they're real. You know, I talked to someone uh, in a recent interview, Dave DeBose on supply chain, and the idea that autonomous trucks that right now the trucking and distribution system is constrained by how long a human can stay in a vehicle. 
what if the truck can keep moving 24 hours straight with the exception of getting gasoline? And which would be fabulous and, and would then, you know, decimate the trucking, anybody that makes a living as a trucker. So you know, it's, it's, it's interesting how the implications ripple through. But at the same time, my 85-year-old father probably shouldn't be driving as much as he does at this point. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, an autonomous vehicle would let him, he doesn't drive at night anymore. So he could, you know, get around at night. He could do long distances and things that that he isn't able to do right now, and you almost you might not have to own a car anymore when there are just pools of them. So you, you know that that's that's a very cool thing. But again, the you know it it to us it's going to take the year many years before it mm-hmm. comes of quote unquote of age, and when it does, all of a sudden it's going to be this huge disruptive technology that has taken a long time to get there. And I think that's your point, right, that what appears to be instantaneous has been going on behind the scenes for years to decades. Yes. Well, I mean, you know, think of, you know, you can think of PDAs are a good example. They, the Newton and the Palm Pilot, I think, started in the 1990s, and then you had your, you know, you moved to the BlackBerry and your iPhone, and now you've got the Apple Watch, and, and it's... You know, the Apple Watch seems like it's cool and new, but it's, you know, it's been around for a while. And, or not, well, the watch itself hasn't been around, but the technology of the whole mm-hmm. personal digital assistant has been, and it, it just keeps getting better. Because sometimes the technology actually isn't there. You know, somebody has the idea, gee, it would be cool if we could do this, but I can't make the technology work. Yeah, and, it, yeah. I was like, think of think of part of the cool thing about the iPhone, and when the, the touch screens became real, was you had to come up with the kind of glass that worked. That you know that that was an evolution that all of a sudden made these things cool and available. Yeah, because as, as a BlackBerry user, I had a keyboard. I didn't swipe anything, so that was right. a significant innovation in what my phone could do. And initially, were you resistant? I was. I liked that little keyboard, and I still don't like the other keyboard. It still looks like I'm drunk <laughs> when I'm texting or emailing. <laughs> I, 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 I think it took me a couple months. I'm like, all right, I can deal with this and, and get past it. But I, I can type much faster on a keyboard. I, I will tell you that my children can't. So I have I have two boys, 20 and 23, and they didn't um, – I think they took typing in about – kindergarten or second grade, and they don't really know how to touch type, which I learned how to do. So for them, texting with two thumbs is just as fast as anything else. Yeah, not so much for me. Let's go back to your intro. You talked about being Netflixed. What does that mean? Because I'm hearing this phrase more often, and I think people are using it differently. So, to me, and, and it, some of this comes from having heard it recently. To me, to me, this was when Netflix, you know, as a company, you know, they entered the they were they entered the video rental business that Blockbuster was in with a totally different business model, and they put Blockbuster out of business. So, to me, being Netflix is really when some disruptor comes in and takes you out, you know, takes out a good portion of your business because you either you know, weren't watching or 
didn't want to change. Um, You know, they can be technology or not technology. And I think, you know, you could look at it the other way to say, okay, I am the one that came in and, you know, Netflix somebody in a good way Mm -hmm. created some new opportunity. But the the most recent recent thing that I had heard was actually uh, one of my clients, as they're in the medical field and they're actually a distributor they had partnered with a partnered with a software company to provide their their clients with um, some functionality and they had tried to buy this company for a while and the software company thought they were worth a lot and they went back and forth I mean they this went back and forth for about three years they were mm. they didn't buy them somebody else bought them and okay. what then recently, Google invested into that in that company and started making Google-sized investments, and now the the healthcare distributor is trying to compete equivalently with Google on margins that are completely different. probably. Yeah, and so so now the company is scrambling to say, okay, um, what what part of my business is going to be left when this is all is said and done? Because if they if the part that the the part that Google's investing in gets the most profitable part, then the distribution business is not inherently a very profitable business. Well, and by by allowing it to happen to them, they've now positioned themselves as more of a commodity. Right, right, and and you know they're kicking them. Really, the uh, the head of the company said to me when I first heard the term, he said, "We've been Netflixed," and I, I thought, "Wow, yeah, you have," um, because you you were trying to buy this company three or four years ago and you didn't, and now they're now they're trying to do a catch up investment again mm-hmm. on these low margins, and and they're going. They feel like their competitive advantage is strong customer relationships. And there's a part that says that the analytics and the data may, the insights coming from that may be. Okay. And so if that's it, who who wins? And the customer will ultimately decide. So, so I can see different scenarios of, of partnering, but again, it opens up from your perspective and from the overall strategic perspective. It, it means I don't just do a five-year strategy. I'm continually refreshing because if I'm waiting five years to to right. refresh, I'm done in this environment. I, somebody um, I read somewhere, somebody was talking about the definition of competitive advantage is changing. That you used to think of competitive advantage as something you had for a period of time, and it really is it's very fleeting at this point because you've always got to be watching for who's coming in. These, you know, the the digital companies can pop up so quickly. You you can't count on the brick and mortar and the things that got you there being the things that will continue making you highly profitable. Well, and it sounds like the time horizon that that advantage remains is significantly shrinking. Yes, yes, I, and and even uh, interestingly, the. Um, a place where you see, uh, you know, you think that sort of regulatory advantage can be used is certainly in the healthcare field. Mm-hmm. That's come up before as okay, that's an advantage, and yet the way some of the internet companies have come through, they're able to get around that, and oh. they're, 
And and so what you thought, you know, you spend a lot of money lobbying, all of a sudden isn't such an advantage anymore. And other people get to benefit from the investment you have made. Correct. Correct. Uh, they build, right, so they're able to build on that, and they're, they're able to take what you consider your competitive advantage away from you faster than you expected. And, and so organizationally, that's, um, you know, it becomes an interesting one to ponder of how do you, how do you go about making sure you, again, you're well positioned moving yeah, into the future? The thing that comes to mind is as I'm running a company, because I also, you know, not only consult but run my own company, it just leads to a level of anxiety of constantly needing to not only deliver the products and services, but concurrently be reading trends looking to either create a new competitive advantage or sustain, it, it's just a, a split focus that is accelerating at a rate that we, had, again, haven't seen in the past. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it basically, you're, um, and I think everybody feels that stress because you you have to be looking at so many things and you will never be able to you'll never be able to get to all of it so you have to do the best you can at figuring out okay where do i think that i have the most value and where do i think i can be going and you have to invest some on the positive side of okay what can i do that'll be cool and different that may take me into somebody else's you know take me into somebody else's space and so, when we come back uh, let's talk thing. about that specifically, this idea that what used to be my space is now a different space, and it, we the bleed over that is completely changing industries. So right. we're going to go to to break. Uh, this is Susan Paul and Maureen Metcalf, innovative leaders driving thriving organizations, and we're talking about disruption and how do we respond to it. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. You 
You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hi, welcome back. You're rejoining Susan Paul and Maureen Metcalf, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. And we left off talking about some of the impacts disruption will have. So, Susan, can you give us an idea of what you think we will see unfolding over the next five years? I think, I think you're going to see a number of different things. Um, I think you're going to see a continuing stream of technology disruptors, and, and they're happening faster and faster. You know, for some examples, if you think about education, um, you've got companies like Coursera and Khan Academy, where you know you've got really large numbers of people that pay you know, a fraction of what they did to get access to the best you know, educators available. Uh, you know, that that's that's going to have a huge change just in a whole industry. Mm-hmm. Phones have disrupted a whole bunch of industries. Yeah. I have, I do have a Garmin. I think I have one still around, but I don't use it anymore. You know, and that all of a sudden just your phone took care of that. And, mm-hmm. and your phone is starting to go into all kinds of, you know, in making all kinds of industries obsolete. Less PCs are sold now that phones are bigger and you can actually use them in more spaces. You know, I think you've got things like 3D printing coming up, and that's that's another one still in its very much in its infancy. I was uh, surprised. Uh, my father recently got a tooth, a crown redone, and they printed it. And so something that really? two or three weeks. Yeah, now you know so he was able to get it right then and there. Well, so it's not to go in, have a temporary, and then three weeks later I come back and something's right. Right. Created. You just got it was all done at once. You know, and, I saw something yesterday where an astronaut in the space shuttle, the space shuttle is now using three D printing, and when they needed an instrument to do a repair, which could hmm. be life and death, I'm assuming, when some part breaks, now they can just right. print it rather than shipping it up to space. Which you know, is may, could be a life and death situation. Mm-hmm. You know, I could then I could print something I needed. It sounds an odd thing to say, print something I needed, but basically, you know, build yourself apart and move forward with it. So I think I think you'll see, you know, that technology again very early on is going to disrupt a lot of things. We were thinking of, a, at one point we were talking about you could have 3D printers. You could basically become a Kinko's with 3D printers. I'm sure Kinko's has got this in mind already. Because as an individual, I probably don't need to print things all the time. But occasionally I'm going to want to make something that would require a special 3D printer and would need special equipment. And so you could go in, um, you know, go into your Kinko's and, and print off your special part for your car that, you're missing or something something silly like that, but I can see that happening. And, and at some point, so it looks like maybe my uh, auto repair shop will have one, the, the big, um, more yeah. complex ones. But I do wonder if we'll have them at home. We were talking about the distribution system earlier, and there are probably lots of little things I go to the store and purchase, hardware store, that kind of right. stuff that I can just 
download the pattern, print the wrench, and off I go to repair something or paint my house or something. So, so there I think then you have to decide, and none of us know the answer to this, is that going to be the cheapest way to get it? Or when drone technology gets really good or the autonomous vehicle that I have running around, you know, my fleet of them picks up the part from the hardware store and brings it to you, which of those is going to be more cost-effective or will they all have a place? And you'll, you'll make the decision right then and there, okay, this is cheaper to get it this way. Well, and the other thing it sounds like is what my life, my lived experience looks like will change. So what do we, as humans, what do we do? If I need purpose in the work I do, and now I've got autonomous vehicles and drones and I don't have to leave my house, what does my life look like? Am I more productive or am I seeking purpose and spending my life certainly differently? I think you're. I think you're spending it differently. A um, little bit of a tangent, but there's a, a blogger economist named Tyler Cowen who has written a book. Uh, I don't remember what the name of it is. But the, at the end of average or something like that. And he talks about the wor- a whole workforce changing dramatically, and it's actually for a little bit different reason than you talk about. It's more that the technology is going to become so prevalent that the, you're going to have a segment of people who are, who are able to build the technology and work with it and a large segment that that's no longer a role for them. Although he contends they'll be happier because they will be able to go, you know, they'll, they'll do more work in a traditional nonprofit type organization or things that they consider more purposeful to them. So, you know, you might not be the truck driver, uh, but maybe you'll be able to do things for kids that, that interests you more. So I have more autonomy to do something that brings purpose as long as I can afford my printer and, and the little cars and drones that are going to drop off food for me. Correct. Correct. So and now let's bring this back to IT because this is a fascinating subject and I would love to talk about it the whole time. Um, and And yet I'm assuming that that as as we were initially focused on IT, that you want to explain how how this kind of disruption impacts the strategy and the organization's ability to deliver from an overall business strategy and from a technology strategy perspective. It does. It does. Um, and IT. So I think first first we have to define a little bit of IT, what IT is in my mind. Because IT can be a department, it can also be the technology that runs the organization. And there's more and more technology. And if you just go with information technology, is what brings you data and insights. And that's really um, that's everywhere. And that you're not seeing any organization want less and less of it. You're, you're seeing them, you know, keep building more things, wanting to go further. And what I what I find, and I've been asked by a number of people, uh, one of the CFOs that we work with was asking me recently, you know, over the next 10 years, what should I be budgeting for in the way of technology? Well, okay, 10 years is a long time. It's just, mm-hmm. it's going up. He said, isn't it going to level off somewhere? Said, well, you know, unless your users stop asking for technology, I would say no, because what happens is, you build a new system, 
and then okay, that, that so you have the cost of building it, and then then you have the cost of running it, and you have the cost of running all the old things that you have, and so that just keeps getting to be bigger and bigger. And things, you look at things like the cloud, and you you try and find places in a, as an IT organization where you can bring costs down, and, and yet you you don't have you know you don't have visibility into what's being spent across the whole organization, and so you're. You're trying to manage it the best you can, and, and organizations all come up with different ways that they try and go after that. And yet, if technology continues to be a differentiator, so in our conversation earlier earlier in the day, not during the show, you talked about things like Airbnb and Uber, that those have completely upended industries. And, and they have. And so they, you know, if you... And frankly, the people that, that do the uh, Airbnb and Uber, you know, those they're they're not thinking about upending an industry when they do it. They're they're just you know thinking of okay, I have a need and I'm going to fill it, and we have you know, it would be nice if I could rent out my my bedroom. And the technology's there, and so they just you know they put something out there which is equivalently like a market exchange, and okay. just it doesn't wipe out a whole industry, but they can they have a very different. Advantage over the hotel industry, and their the speed at which they're growing is you know so dramatically different. You know, I don't know how long Marriott has been around. You know, I don't know if it's sixty or a hundred years to get to where they are. But you know, Airbnb started in August of two thousand eight. They're you know eight years old. They're in one hundred and ninety countries, and they're valued at about twenty five billion dollars. You know, while that's a lot of disruption. And now, you know, they and Uber, you, so all the people that have Uber on their phone, mm-hmm. I now have a, a network of all of people that I can get to to give, you know, to provide different types of services than I could before. So I can, you know, anybody that the Uber Eats is one of them, that doesn't really, I don't know if that disrupts uh, an industry or not, because I don't know if they're, it's a huge delivery service industry out there, but you could easily see how that how a platform like that could could disrupt. And how does how does a, a traditional organization compete with it? Uber doesn't really own. They don't own the cars. They don't own the gas. They don't own the drivers. You know, they don't really. They they own the exchange. Okay, so tying that back then to our technology disruption, the theme that I hear more often now is everyone's a technology company. So I may provide healthcare services, but I still am heavily technology dependent to do that. And I would absolutely agree with that. You know, you're seeing apps that do um, that get all kinds of data around. You know, how's your diabetes doing, how's your heart rate, all, all all sorts of things like that that I can now do, you know, on a phone or, you know, with a, a simple a device hooked up to a phone, which allows me to, it, it actually serves two purposes. It, it allows you to um, kind of cut out a middleman, per se, because I can get access to data that I, you know, the doctors can get access to data easily or a technician without having to make a make a trip in for the patient or for the you know technician to make a trip out to somebody. And so you you 
um, don't necessarily have a need for a certain type of labor. At the same time, you can get to more people when labor is starting to get scarce and expensive. And as, you know, tying that now back to the IT side and the, the technology side, you start having to look at, is your IT organization set up to think about those things? And, and is that even the right place for those ideas to come from? Because they're going to come from many places. So, so it seems like, again, back to tying it back from what's going on in the macroeconomic scene, then I bring it into my business strategy, and then I take it into my technology strategy, and circling back to we don't foresee a time when we're just done upgrading our technology and we get to cut IT costs. That, that's a given at this point. So how do we connect macro environmental impacts to corporate strategy to technology strategy? So, you know, that um, section, Erin, I don't do as much of, but you do, you know, that goes back to your reading. Uh, how do you, you have to be looking at the big trends and you have to be thinking about what what could happen to me. Uh, I have my corporate strategy, which tends to, to react to some of the industry work and uh, what's happening in the industry. And then I have my my technology strategy, which is really, uh, you know, responsive to the corporate strategy. Uh-huh. And the, the, you tend to, you don't tend to find the technology strategy as much, as much as it'd be nice getting out ahead in, again, in traditional companies and more of who uh-huh. our clients are your brick and mortar type companies. Uh-huh. And, and it's a struggle for them. I think if you were in Silicon Valley, you'd see a different type of thinking, but uh-huh. you don't, you really don't see it as much in, in what I would call your traditional old line companies. And yet, and it, when, when you and I talk, it, it sounds like you can't help but bring that thinking because it, it's how you're wired. So that by default, you are kind of building it in. Right. right. Because you, you stay current and you look at what's around you and, you, you know, we have to, we would do everybody, do our clients a disservice if we didn't scan what's going on. And, and look at what, you know, what I would call the, the digital natives, the, the younger generations, what are they interested in and what are they paying attention to? I, I find that I, uh, I, I use my, my kids and my kids' friends a lot as a way to stay current on, hmm, you know, these are things, how, how are organizations thinking about these things and how are my clients, you know, reacting to changes in demographics, just changes in, in technology usage. Because mm-hmm. they really do use technology so much different. It was striking to me uh, a couple of years ago, I remember talking to a CIO who said that they were having to change out their just their internal systems because they felt they were old green screens and they just were having trouble attracting employees around that. Mm. And so, you, you, you know, you have to, as you're looking and advising clients on what to do, you, you have to keep that in mind of, okay, we, you know, we can't attract people this way. We, we run an intern program. Um, Caraveda runs an intern program. And in order to make it a really good experience, we, we actually do a, a nonprofit. We do build something for a nonprofit every year. 
and it ha- would have to go find something really cool to attract the interns. And this year it's drones. Last year it was mobility. And I went through it. I'm on a board of a nonprofit. We were trying to figure out could they do something for them. And it just wasn't a complex and interesting enough problem that they were trying to solve, and the interns didn't care. <laughs> so, so, again, it, integrating our macro trends of, of generational differences and what we're expecting, all of that has to go into my strategy in some ways. Right. And, and it, add, add global into it because that that is a mix of demographic and just um, – Economic infrastructure. Uh, we were doing um, we were doing some work building out a, a technology strategy for a, a large multinational firm, and one of the things that came up was, well, in in India and in a lot of uh, Latin America, you have to assume that you're going to do something on a mobile phone. That there really are not going to be landlines because landlines are very expensive to get, and they've mm-hmm. kind of skipped a lot of the big box stores, and they tend to do a lot of things via e-commerce. And so they they were looking at the U.S. centric version, saying this doesn't really apply to me. Think about what I need, and you have to think about it very differently, technically, to give me something useful. So as you're working in those arenas, again, the level of complexity you're facing is higher and will get continually higher as we go forward. Right. right. So let's and, go to break and, here and come okay. back to the conversation with Susan Paul, Maureen Metcalf, talking about disruption and how it impacts our technology work. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info 
at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back. Innovative leaders, driving, thriving organizations. You're joining Susan Paul and Maureen Metcalf. And we're talking about macro disruption, how it drives organizational strategy, and how that drives technology strategy. So we've talked about the increase in cost that seems to be ever-increasing. It, it seems like with all of these technology advance, advances and in artificial intelligence and things that we read about, there should also be a way to reduce costs. So what's happening in that space so that I can at least manage a profitable organization? So, Maureen, there, there are several things that are happening and actually have been happening over a period of time. Uh, if you think about, you know, when, well, when I first got into computers and the IT space, people were writing accounting systems and, you know, the CRM systems, customer relationship management systems, things you would never, you would never write today. You would get it off the shelf. So huge cost takeout in that type of thing. And what you're finding is there are more and more of those functions, anything that there can be a best practice for, more and more of those are being taken out of the market and you can get a, you can easily get a package and more of those packages now are being sold in a software as a service model so I subscribe versus I have to have you know on site data centers. And and that matters yes, that really matters more one for ease of purchase and two because I as a, a corporation probably don't need the same amount of data center I did. You could argue you don't need data centers at all, and this is this is sort of an ongoing IT battle right now because there's sort of the whole infrastructure and security swath of people that you may not need in the same way that you did before because you'll use you know Amazon's uh, data centers and their security, and you'll use Microsoft or something like that. So that that goes to what I would call the utility computing model, where it's it, the technology's gotten cheaper. It becomes like a utility. It just runs in the background, mm-hmm. and you buy it, and it's no big deal. And so that's a huge, that's brought costs down hugely. At the same time, you keep wanting more and different things, and the new things are custom and, and require more investment. So but it doesn't, is, doesn't quite go away. So at some point, not unlike the beginning of having a power grid, that it was big and expensive and a significant focus of effort the first time someone gets electricity in their house. At this point in our evolution, it's assumed it's relatively inexpensive compared to my overall budget, and it's just a thing that is, that, that we will get to that space with basic technology. And, and we have in, in large, large swaths of functionality. What um, what happens, again, I, I would say there's a time component in here because if I'm a company that's been around for a long period of time, I probably built a custom one of those. And maybe I've upgraded and maybe I haven't. If I'm a brand new company, I'm just going to start with all of these things in a, a utility format. And so I have a big cost advantage, you know, getting back to the disruptor idea. That's partly how I can disrupt because it is reasonably cheap to to go. So I sign, you know, I put my credit card down. I sign up for Salesforce. I put my credit card down. I, I can get uh, Office 365, and I might need, you know, I can go to 
Google and, and get all of that for free. So I, mm-hmm. can, I can do things much more inexpensively now. Yeah, when I started my business 15 years ago, I had to invest in a lot of things that, as I've upgraded, right. no longer reside in my office. They reside somewhere out in the ether. And you can do that as a small company. It becomes, you know, if you're a Pepsi or a Citibank or a FedEx, you have huge, huge investments of systems. And those are, you may still have mainframes around because they aren't dead. Mm-hmm. And those things are what, that that's what gets, you know, you've got this legacy cost and it actually, it carries forward because now I have to figure out what do I do with the, um, do I upgrade these things or do I try and keep interfacing to these old legacy systems and you get the spaghetti code and, and a mess that just costs a lot to, you know, one of the things that you talk to the business functions and you ask how IT is doing, one of the things I always say, it takes too long and I can't believe it really costs this much to add a new field. And it has nothing to do with adding the field is probably not that expensive, but that field is, you know, goes into seven or eight different systems, which then interfaces with another seven or eight different systems. And so when I change what that field does, I have to make sure everything associated with it is right so that when you get your, you know, your revenue report this next month, it actually is accurate. And that the the six other mainframe and non-mainframe systems are talking to each other and each recognizing that new field running through all of the programs. Right, which is something you in your business don't really have to worry about. And the big ones... Well, you mentioned something too. earlier about large companies and that the, the startup today will be the legacy company 10 years from now. And how do, how do we navigate, if I'm a 10-year-old company, what am I doing? If I'm a 5-year-old company, what am I thinking? How do I navigate the, the life cycle of my organization to at least anticipate what we presume will come? So in the ideal space, and I honestly have not seen many companies do this, in the ideal space, you're refreshing your technology pretty regularly okay. to, so that you stay current. And it's, I would say it's a really good concept. What happens is budget pressures almost always make that impossible. Um, I, you just... You know, you, you should be thinking, okay, I need to upgrade with each version. Now, I do think the cloud makes that, well, software as a service makes that easier. And I, I recently talked to somebody who is talking, they, they'd taken their HR uh, systems and they were now in the cloud, and they were finding that uh, it would actually change the whole dynamic of how they had to work with, uh, how HR worked with IT and how IT and HR had to work with the, the vendor. Where in prior years, if HR got any changes to software, it was slowly, and you know IT would make it, and they knew how to run the systems. Now, uh, they went, HR went out and they just bought a uh, software as a service. Those get upgraded all the time, and so the third-party vendor has to come in and talk to HR to say, "Okay, here are the changes coming. Are you ready for this?" Because it's not it's no longer an option whether you can upgrade. It's going to be upgraded on you. 
and you had better figure out how you're going to make sure you can it doesn't mess up your reporting and things like that. That's that, one of the biggest that, arguments I've heard against the cloud is we have no control over the frequency and impact of the upgrades. So I think it depends on how how standard and best practice you have. Okay. Your, what your processes. You know, if you are running something totally non-standard, you probably don't want it upgraded all the time and and you won't you wouldn't put that in the cloud. Uh you you probably consider that your secret sauce and you you mm-hmm. think twice before you did that. I think for most of the others, you know, even think about just your Windows upgrades at home. It used to be painful to go through it, and it it messed with a lot of things. I really have not had any problem upgrading things recently. So I think I, I, I think some of that technology. That my computer restarts too. during the middle of a meeting. Ah, okay. <laughs> For the most part, I think that part's gotten better. Uh, you know, it's just as, as things have gone. But to your question of what you know, what do I think about it? If I'm a a five and ten year old company, if I'm a five year old company, I'm probably not even thinking about it yet, and and I honestly may not even be considering that I could become out of date at some point. You know, having seen and work with the larger companies, you you do see that, and you realize it it will happen. You know, the I, I worked with Microsoft early on in my career, and I, I talked to some of the people that I work with now, and, you know, they, they look at you know, Microsoft's a, an old, boring, stodgy company. You know, Google's where it's at right now, and Facebook and Apple and all that, and I think, well, you know, that's going to change. They're going to become legacy companies, too. It's just a matter of time. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, we don't know what's next, but uh, you know, somewhere in the next five to ten years, there will be there will be new things coming in. And if you're again, that gets back to the okay, if I'm a if I'm a, uh, a organization trying to figure out my strategy, what do I do? I have to be looking at at these things, saying, okay, huh, how much do I want to invest? How much do I think this is? You know, where am I going to make my investments? And, and am I do I have a mechanism? Have I made my organization agile enough to change? And agile, you know, agile is a buzzword right now, and it's certainly a good methodology. It's one we've used for many years, but it's it's more a mindset of, you know, how do I not get so invested any place that I don't have to, so I can change. It would, in fact, one of our interviews recently was on. Agile, the software methodology, and Lean, also methodology, and uh, the interview was with Nationwide Insurance, and the question of how does an older legacy company stay current when they have, I think they said, an investment of a billion dollars a year or spend of a billion dollars a year to stay current. And it is certainly through the use of tools like Agile and Lean, and also dealing with some of these tough questions about prioritizing spend, what percentage of revenue each year has to go into staying fresh and current, and working with someone who helps them understand what's coming down the horizon and how do they prioritize. And Agile is really good on, if implemented well, it gets the business, you know, the business stakeholders, the technology stakeholders all together and looking at where value comes from with the idea that 
it's it's not so much that agile that I develop code faster than I developed before, but I develop the code that's most valuable to the organization. And so I do that first. And by doing that, you're able to look and say, okay, well, is this next feature really going to add so much value? No, maybe we should skip that. We've got enough of what we need. And that's really where Agile, you know, where Agile shines. And it's it's a tough change for a lot of organizations to, to go through. Because the so many business users really have no interest. They're scared of IT. You know, I've had I've had executives say before, I'm just scared of the whole thing. So you know, it annoys me that I have to pay so much for it, and I don't understand it. And I don't really want to understand it. I think that's that's gonna well, that will change demographically as you have people that that get into the workforce who've always used technology. Mm-hmm. I think that that the that Business users have got to meet the technology, you know, your technology people halfway, and that that doesn't always happen. And to your point, as technology takes a bigger role in the in the business strategy, if all companies become more technology companies, maybe not entirely technology companies, but technology becomes more important in the corporate strategy that focus on understanding it and leveraging it certainly makes sense. Right. Well, and and putting in where IT will always play a role is trying to put in the security and the governance mechanism or the, the guardrails to try and make the organization, you know, make the organization as safe and secure as they can while still allowing you to, you know, get business value from technology. You know, their IT is always caught in an interesting place of, you know, they, they're not trying to impede anybody, but they, they frequently get put in that box, unfortunately, because they, the CIO has to watch out for the security side of things and, you know, the board of directors holds them liable. So let's wrap up on that note because we are also talking to a security expert. And to wrap us up, one of the key takeaways I heard from you, Susan, is don't let your company get Netflixed. And to avoid that, looking at the impact of technology and how it relates to my business, creating an IT strategy, understanding how IT is a differentiator and also understanding where I can make IT more cost-effective in looking at workforce, global impacts, security, and several of the others that you've mentioned during the interview. So in closing, I want to thank everyone who's listened to the interview and invite you to send comments and questions. My email address is info at metcalf-associates.com. I would love to hear your questions. If you want to reach Susan, Susan, what is your email address? Susan.paul at paravedasolutions.com. And if someone wants to reach Susan through me, certainly email me, and we will connect you. Thank you again for joining us, and... Please continue to listen to innovative leaders driving thriving organizations. Susan, thank you so much for being such an insightful guest. 
Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.